Welcome to Amplify. Music from Irene Buckley, Her Awakening, a commission from the RTE National Symphony Orchestra and performed at this year's New Music Dublin Festival which took place last weekend at the National Concert Hall and in other venues in Dublin. The festival was an online one and nearly all of the events were streamed live. For Amplify, we invited a number of the featured composers, musicians and other key people involved in the festival to participate in a series of daily Zoom meetups to talk about their work and experiences of the concerts. This is the first one of three which you're about to hear. Joining myself, Jonathan Grimes, and CMC director Yvonne Ferguson are soprano Michelle O'Rourke, composer Judith Ring, New Music Dublin Festival director John Harris, composer and artistic director of Ivlana Siobhan Cleary, and composers Anne-Marie O'Farrell, John McLaughlin and Deirdre Gribbon. All the details of the festival, including the pieces you'll hear, are in the show notes for the podcast. Has it finished there? Because I can't see. Um, he's just oh. he's just doing his final link. So, yeah. yeah. There's Judith. Hi, Judith. How are you? How's it going? Great. Just enjoying all the music. Pretty amazing. It's been fantastic. I haven't seen it all. I didn't see the third Evlana. Hello, John. Hello, people. How are we? Hello. Good. Good. All good. Excellent. Yeah. Sorry, the the the, um, the episode just finished, so I just um, it's funny. I didn't have to run anywhere. It's quite nice. Yeah. I know. you because I mean you really had the big honour and privilege but also pressure of uh, you know bringing us the very first notes of New Music <laughs> Dublin 2021 in the Grounded concert which was stunningly beautiful uh, a very gentle um, but incredibly of course reflective start to the festival as the works were really touching on a lot of what has gone on over the last uh, 12 months plus and uh, how was it for you approaching those new works Michelle? I suppose when you say um, bringing the first notes, it, for me, it, it, it so much doesn't feel like that. You make the scores for weeks. It's like the first time you're sharing a story, I suppose. Working with Ed and Deirdre, it's the first time I've worked with both of them. Very different music, which is always lovely when you get contrasting 
uh, vocal uh, idioms in the same concert. And so that's quite challenging from a preparation point of view. And then to knit and to find a kind of a central vocal timbre and mode of expression that works for both pieces and that keeps them in appropriate tension together. I spoke to Ed a couple of times and obviously had some vocal workshops with him to talk about the vocal timbre and tessitura and what he was interested in and what I might be able to offer. In his pieces, you can feel there's the bareness of just the voice and heart in that really stripped back texture where it's almost like you're cracking into like the emotion of something very, very delicate. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you need the relief of the synth. You need it. And how he's written for the voice and the synth together is this like wall. I think the synth was actually really necessary. And uh, both Richard and I felt the grounding of it because you're dealing also with journal settings. They're so delicate and so intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like you need that filter between you and your listener. Uh-huh. And it really makes the, the intimacy even more intimate when you come into the, these super spare voice and harp moments. I'm always fascinated by the like the arc of rehearsal periods and the kind of the turning you go through as a performer from the moment you first get the score until you arrive to the stage and at the moment in in covid times it feels like we're not quite arriving to the stage as it were but in saying that there's frustration for sure but there's also a peeling back for me as a performer, that I'm stepping into a slightly more naked space, that the camera is closer, the angle is more set, uh, we're not sharing air in a room. And so it's almost like inviting somebody into your private performance or private rehearsal space. Um, and that's interesting, I think, for people mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. And there's energy in the room that you wouldn't necessarily get with an audience that can be slightly more contained or it changes the quality of things. And I think it served uh, the pieces today very well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, Judith, can I come to you? Because from the composer's point of view, I suppose, especially with this work, you know, it's kind of a classic um, in Irish contemporary music repertoire. Spelt uh, wow. Dawn. I mean, it's it's been performed on a number of occasions. It it hasn't had the curse sometimes of the premiere and then going on the shelf at the Contemporary Music Centre for quite a many years before another second performance. How was it for you today when you hear it online by uh, an ensemble that hasn't performed it before? Yeah, I mean, they, they did an incredible job. It, actually, both Adrian and Paul have performed before. Paul was the original performer of the, the clarinet part. And then Adrian ha- had a go at some point as well. Uh, Keith was the, the newbie today and he did such an amazing job. And the energy the three of them had, I thought, was just incredible. It's probably like what Michelle was just saying about the difference in, between performers and the energy in the room when there is no audience is probably it brings perhaps something different to the overall energy yeah, of the piece. 
the good thing about being at home watching it, I was like, you know, really going for, you know, like moving around the place, which I would never do in a in a concert with a full audience, obviously. <laughs> I have yet to see a composer dancing at a concert of their own works. That yeah, exactly. that would be a first. But exactly. maybe that's something you should think about for next year, John Harris. I think that there's a capacity there. There's, there's a great idea from Judith, the freedom for composers to dance at their own pieces. Yeah, I think you should start dancing. I think all composers should actually go to the front and dance at the end of their pieces or during. It doesn't matter which. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for it now that I've given it a go at home on my own. Now that you're liberated. Yeah, John, exactly. John, we're, we're sort of, I suppose we're, we're talking here about, you know, a lot of the front of house stuff that we're seeing um, as audiences. And uh, Michelle has talked a little bit, I suppose, about the, the back of house stuff. Um, but just to kind of tease that out, are you going to give us a, 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 a little bit of, a, of an insight into just how challenging it's been, especially for the live streaming concerts? I kind of don't even know where to begin, actually. I mean, the number of drafts, redrafts, reprogrammings, reworkings, rebuildings, takings out, puttings in, choppings about, which are notable in a festival anyway, but actually in this one, I mean, I think only six weeks ago we were told we couldn't do it, full stop. I remember an infamous Zoom call with the concert hall, with me and John Pearson, John Lee Producers, and me, and the concert hall the other end going, OK, chaps, you can do it, but uh, you can't rehearse. And it was just like, that's okay, we're dead in the water because you know, if you can't come to the concert hall, then that means we can't, the concert hall's kind of support disappears, which means you can't have the RTE orchestras. The thing about the festival is it's such a massive partnership operation with everything from RTE's juggernaut of a corporation and NCH's enormous resources to solo gigs in very small spaces. And it's the whole kind of, it's the whole thing. And that's why New Music Dublin works because it covers all those bases. So that was the point at which I thought, uh, game over. And it was actually amazingly the kind of um, tenacity of the NSO who basically went, guys, we're just not going to take this. We are going to keep going. And they effectively sort of cracked it back open and said, do you know what? We have to rehearse. If you're going to get us playing, we have to rehearse. And then when they were allowed back in, I think it was on the 13th of March was the first gig they were allowed to do something like that. That was the point at which we thought, oh, maybe we've got a festival. There's something quite defiant about today, I mean, I, the thing that I've, I really, I mean, from you know, right from the start of your concert, Michelle, you know, there's sort of, there's a, there's an immense sort of human joy in doing this for, I think, you know, for some of those, for some of the players, the first time they played a gig since last March, you know, I mean, not, not the March has gone a year plus March. And um, the kind of sheer joy of, of, of coming back in and playing together and the NSO today, you, know, you, could, I mean, you can see the screens there and you can see how socially distanced they are and, you know, the, the, all the difficulties of, of playing together when you're so spread out. But there's a certain kind of like purely energetic defiance of we're going to do this, guys. We're going to do it, even though we're not supposed to be able to. This is John is saying it's so joyful to do it. And any experience I've had this year of work, which is touch wood, been free flowing, but it, it still is joyful. Like even under the harshest of circumstances, it's like life will out, like we find a way to be joyful in the moment of performance. And so I was sitting outside and I felt happy.
Michelle O'Rourke and Richard Allen performing Ed Bennett's Journal Songs 2020 at this year's New Music Dublin Festival. We return to this conversation which took place on the first day of the festival shortly, but next we have composer and artistic director of Ivlana, Siobhan Cleary, who programmed three concerts in the festival. And I chatted with her about these concerts. Here it is. Tell me about how you went about progr- programming the concerts. I mean, what what was because you have a you have considerable experience doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've programmed a lot of concerts over the years. Well, ever since I started out, because all along when I was like developing as a composer, I kind of was organising a lot of concerts in my early twenties, and ever since. I just like doing it. I, I like I like giving the opportunity to the composers first of all, who are who are often my my friends and colleagues, to have a piece done, and then to the performers to be to be challenged and uh, to do something. With the New Music Dublin Festival this year, the first piece that I knew I wanted to put on was Coronia Mulvey's piece that she had written for Isabel O'Connell, which I had heard at the Finding a Voice festival last year, just before lock- lockdown. And I'm, I remember sitting there and I said, I want to put this on somewhere else. This needs to be out there. Um, and then I thought about New Music Dublin and then I thought, Oh, hey, I've got Iflana. And then I thought, well, well, what else can I do? So, uh, and I built from there. I also wanted to commission a piece by the composer Jane DC, who is phenomenal. And that was a, a standout work today. It was absolutely, I, I was so proud of her. And, you know, and the, 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 the comments that came in online, you know, like is obviously one of the highlights of the concert. The other person that I really wanted to commission was John McLaughlin. He wrote this wonderful ensemble piece. So there's two world premieres and his his is one of them. I was delighted with how the, the ensemble just really took that work on board. And as the premiere, I think it was very, very, very powerful. It was. And that certainly came true, you know, on online. And, and it's a kind of a difficult, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're you know, we're all 
um, obviously none too aware of it at, at the at the moment that it it is difficult. It must be difficult for for a musician to sort of communicate beyond you know like true like true the the two dimensional medium of of a of a computer screen or or laptop or or, or device you know but yeah. that came across really really strongly is very strong and i like the tape sounds of those really beautiful whale sounds and it's very evocative of that uh, northwest coast of Donegal. it's very beautiful The other pieces that kind of I really wanted to do <laughs> were, um, say, Raymond Dean's Tristia. So that hadn't been performed since 1980. And I'm thinking, why not? I mean, we're, we're hearing repeats of lots of le less interesting works all the time. So I was, I was delighted, that, you know, to, to, to put this on and... Again, Ivlana did their their thing, and they they just and, and Sylvia O'Brien did terrific work as a, the soloist in that 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 piece. I wasn't familiar with that work actually. Uh, I don't know if I've. You would have been very young in, in nineteen eighty. <laughs> so. as, as 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 was I, but <laughs> I I don't think we would have been following Raymond Dean at that point, but. I don't even think I bought my first record at that stage, you know. I think I think it was maybe a year later or, or, or thereabouts, you know. That struck me a lot as well, the fact that you had programmed a work by by Raymond that was so um it was so strong. You know the way sometimes you 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 listen to works from from earlier periods and, and they sort of show their age, don't they? But this didn't. This could have been written in the last two or three years. I mean it was so modern. It's not not I mean modern God and um, that's not the word, but it was so um fresh. It was very fresh. I think that is probably a better word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, also alongside that was uh, John Buckley's um, Constellation piece, which gave the, you know, that, that gave the title to the whole series. That is a phenomenal work for, for, for Bill Dowdle. They have worked together for decades at this stage. It was a piece that was composed around 2008, but there again, hasn't been getting an outlet. And, you know, it, it, it was a series of all of these things that are thinking, why are these pieces not being performed? Why are these composers not being heard? What's going on? And thankfully, John Harris was so open.
the fact that these were going to be streamed and you knew, pro presumably from a very early stage, that these were going to be streamed to an online audience, did that having any bearing on your approach, you know, the approach that you took to putting the concerts together? Well, it, it did. I put a lot of solos and duos together because I, I didn't know whether the ensemble could, could get together, for example. So it was kind of like a, a, a backup that at least we had, we'd have these wonderful soloists performing works. In normal circumstances, I wouldn't program like that. And then, you know, also the time, you know, that you would have maybe three quarters of an hour of a concert and then a break and then the second one and then a third one. That wouldn't be normal programming either. So it, it influenced it quite a lot, but, you know, it's, it was a challenge and it worked and you, you do what, whatever is given to you. The reason Ivlana happened for New Music Dublin was because the performers were biting at the pit. They really, really wanted to perform, you know, and I said, right, let them at it, you know, so, and you can't stop that kind of energy, you know. Oh, there's Anne-Marie coming in now, which is great. Fantastic. There she is. Oh, well, congratulations, Anne-Marie. Well <laughs> yeah, wonderful, wonderful work. Thank you so much. Didn't they do amazing? Just an amazing job. Yeah, I mean, every piece seems very well rehearsed. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you're here, Michelle, on the, in the <laughs> podcast room. Every piece that I've heard today is, is just rehearsed really, really within an inch of a, its life. And maybe that's, again, as we were talking about just a little bit earlier, Amory, everybody's so delighted to be actually um, playing it was just a joy from start to finish. But I didn't. Um, I, I'll have to listen back again because in your really insightful interview with Paul Harriet just beforehand, you said there'd be lots of tunes and we were to listen out for them. I <laughs> and I did. I being from Donegal, of course, I immediately heard the Garden Mother's Lullaby. But you'll have to let us into the secret of the rest of them. Yeah, there's everything from Ireland's Call, a whole lot of references to RTE theme tunes. Then in the fourth movement, the um, there I was bringing together a hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, which uh, is uh, 
marching as to war. It has very, I think, difficult expressions of theology. So there, there was very clear sort of reference there to how religion has been has been used for distorted ends in relation to uh, children, particularly in this country. Uh, and the, the, the national anthem is, is quite buried in there in inner clarinet lines. So um, that was kind of the sort of mix I wanted to, to place there. But yes, Ireland's, I don't think when they commissioned me, I don't think they were expecting Ireland's call, but there we are. How's it been to to kind of create that work at the moment um, to be able to, I suppose, get get into rehearsals, get into the performance there? I mean, it's an amazing treat, isn't it, after all these months? Absolutely. I mean, I literally, uh, and the last few nights, I, I, I wasn't able to get to sleep for sheer excitement. And I was thinking, how long is it since I've had that experience of actually being so excited I couldn't like I was like a child you know um so yeah just getting into the room uh, as uh, I've been saying to a couple of people it was like just walking into Technicolor to to walk into the auditorium and hear the the live sound was incredible David had a terrific overview of the whole thing um and just really really focused in rehearsals um so yeah the rehearsal the rehearsal routine I felt unbelievably privileged to get in for that much rehearsal Like I know the piece was very difficult and particularly in COVID with the distance on stage. Nevertheless, I, I really wanted them to have some fun. Um, I wanted it not to be all serious. Yeah, now that, that certainly came across. The atmosphere, really great atmosphere uh, came across. And um, we were talking earlier about sort of uh, for us, you know, the, the, the kind of feeling for us as audience that we can't give you that kind of recognition or that clap or that hug on the way out. Um, so we're, we're giving it to you virtually uh, across the, the Amplify podcast uh, Zoom this evening. And I want to welcome John McLaughlin uh, into, the, into the podcast. Hi, John, and great to see you. And another composer who had a premiere this afternoon. Tell us about your work, John. It's called Headland. 
I thought the title was a double meaning headland, meaning you're living in your head. That's the land you're living in at the moment with the lockdown. And the other thing was about kayaking around Ireland that you see everything from uh, in terms of headlands. So you, you come around the corner and you see a new vista and then you go on and you aim for the next one and you see another new vista. And that's really the structure of the piece. So once I thought of that, you know, it, it just stuck. I thought, well, that's the best title. Uh, it, it suits the piece. Uh, I was, you know, I was genuinely thinking about this idea of the sublime, that that nature is more, much more overpowering than, uh, well, the conventional artistic beauty, which I know I'm not, I'm not against the idea of conventional artistic beauty, you know, a beautiful chord, a beautiful string quartet, a beautiful sunset, whatever, <laughs> a beautiful painting. But the sublime is also a big thing in art. And it sort of speaks to the concept of being overwhelmed, scared, odd and i thought that's what i want i want to you know pull the socks off the listeners now of course whether you succeed or not is very much up to the listeners <laughs> but you've got to aim high eh i have a question john you you mentioned in your in your introduction to the concert that it was a response in part to the pandemic and you had started writing these uh, electro electroacoustic guitar pieces you know as as um as a way of um you know visiting or traveling to places that you couldn't physically get to given that this is so fresh and it's so raw you know is there a danger of being of it being too soon to respond fully to the effects of what we've just gone through you know when it comes to you know creating a new piece of music yeah, we're only in the living in our head phase, you know. I mean, I, I obviously some of us know people who've lost loved ones and uh, there's that whole dimension or people who might have long COVID and those kind of things. Now, I have to say none of that would have come into my piece. I finished Headland in last February or something, you know, and handed it over, um, you know. So it's still an ongoing process. Let's put it this way, the electroacoustic pieces and Headland are really about what it's like to be rattling around in your head. So it's not about the social dimension, uh, which is another piece, right? Or or several. Anybody else want to come in on that? I agree that there could be a, a possibility of of something being um, too soon. But but then when we write something, we write it when we're good and ready. You know, if we're we might have ideas um, mutating in our heads and fermenting or maturing or whatever. But we're not going to put them out there unless we're we're fairly happy with what uh, we have to say I mean, shortly after the pandemic started um rte religious asked me to give a talk on good friday and um, they were getting various members of the clergy to do this and in one of the messages they said we're sure i'm sure you'll have something to say about grief uh since it's you know since you've lost your husband and i remember thinking I'm not going near that topic. I wouldn't be remotely ready to even mention it in public. And that, so that was just a kind of a personal thing. And I thought it was, so it's interesting to observe that as time goes by, uh, and there's also the fact that everybody say in the pandemic has such vastly different experiences that I would feel, well, well, why should my experience necessarily have something to say to somebody else's experience? Um, and, and then there's the, the, the other slightly tricky question which I wrestle with all the time and also in the teaching of composition is uh, misfortune becoming something of art and then the art becoming something of an evening out entertainment 
And I've struggled on a few different sides of that equation where I've appreciated somebody's fantastic artwork on a particular subject, which in certain contexts could be quite triggering. One of the reasons behind doing the festival now was because you couldn't do this festival any other time. It's, it's very definitely one that's programmed and built for pandemic times. And in that sense, the kind of context is half the work, really, that actually the works that fit within this particular context are very much the things that people are thinking about programming now. Not everything is a kind of COVID-related work, but actually I think that there's a sense in which it's not only that we're that the pieces sometimes concern themselves with these things, but also that we will see other pieces within that light as well. You know, so we will hear things within the light of the context in which they're being performed. So it's not just that it's about the kind of composers coming from one end going, I want to write about this, but also that we're witnessing things in a time when, you know, I, in, I mean, I, we wouldn't, for instance, do the NSO concert like that. We wouldn't do the concert orchestra's concert like it's going to be done tomorrow evening. We wouldn't have done concerts without audiences or, you know, kind of no applause at the end and all the rest of it. And we wouldn't have do things like, probably wouldn't do things like Kirkos's work on Sunday morning where it's people doing stuff individually. It's very much a kind of festival for lockdown. And so everything, not just the concerns of the composers, but everything is being seen within that light. We all have a collective notion of this thing that has been happening to all of us as we go along. And I don't think we can escape that. I'd like to welcome uh, Deirdre Gribben, who's just joined us. Hi, Deirdre. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, good to see you all. Thanks so much for, 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 for joining us and, uh, and congrats on your, on your wonderful piece. Thank you. Yeah, they did a really brilliant job. Maybe you might, might say something about the piece. We were talking just before you joined about sort of so-called lockdown art or art which responded in some way to, to the lockdown and whether or not it was too soon or, 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 or that. Tell me about your piece because it does have a, a, a connection with obviously what we've all experienced uh, over the last year. Sure. I was beginning to write the piece and then lockdown happened and the text that really came out of of myself really was very much a response to just stopping and really taking stock of everything that was around and you know really sort of this idea that that nature was continuing and that we were in the middle of it and then I began to think about all the sort of really destructive things that nature was doing and when I started just to write the music I I stopped writing it and then just began to write and I just wrote and wrote and wrote um lots and lots of poetry which I've not done before so um yeah most uh, two of the songs are my text and then I used a, a poem from my son Ethan who um, is 14 and um, it was just a really touching poem about um, from a child's perspective about climate change and it's just something that I think is the beginning of a big su subject for me it really feels that um, having heard it today I just thought yeah okay this is a kind of massive exploration that's going to going to go deeper I think of course, you imagine instruments when you're writing for them, but hearing the harp today was was really special because it, it is such a specific instrument and having that with with the, the soprano um, was a, just a really interesting timbre world to work with.
Michelle and and uh, and and Deirdre, um, how did you find the you know working with each other? Because presumably you had to do all that remotely, and that must be different um, because there, there, there oftentimes there would be a point at which you would you would meet you know whether it is just for the for the performance or the rehearsals running up to up to that was that was that kind of different in any way to you it was very intense in terms of discussion uh, and it was quite it was quite difficult to do rehearsals on zoom working out the balance and and the whole sort of sense of the energy in the room as well um, I think we got it and I, and the musicians were very responsive to to input, but it's it's not an easy way to do rehearsal. And then there's something very strange about just on clicking and then being back. It's almost you're in a time capsule and then you're back to life. Whereas if you're in in the moment of the whole rehearsal process, then that there's something very, um, very intimate about that and something that is a journey that is part of the piece as well. So you feel a little bit kind of like you've lost something as well. I totally agree with that, that um, there's a sort of a tenderness when a composer hands you their score. And then when they're physically present, it, it changes things. It's, it becomes very human. Mm-hmm. And working on Zoom is kind of dehumanizing for, I think, for the composer and also for the performers. And there's in times like this, it's an even greater act of trust for Deirdre to hand mm-hmm. us music and say, please take care of this for me. And to say things like, I can't hear the balance. How is the balance? Mm-hmm. And to trust that we understand what the balance is from the conversation with her, from the, the aesthetic, the idiom that's apparent in the score and then from our own training and from our interaction, because it's the first time I've worked with Deirdre and it's also the first time I've worked with Richard in a duo context. And so it's a lot of firsts. And so it's very loaded mm-hmm. um, and having that kind of emotional load and responsibility and then the dehumanizing element of um, remote rehearsal is certainly challenging. John, I'll come to you now in a minute. But Ju- I, Judith, I wanted to ask you the same question. I mean, did you were were you uh, involved in the rehearsal of your of your work? Um, to be honest, I I left I left them to it. I didn't attend any of the rehearsals because um, I just with with that piece. I've done this a few times. I've just said, okay, I want the the performers to interpret this piece um, in their own way and. Sometimes it, it, it brings very exciting results because there, there's, I mean, it's very scored that piece. So there's not much that can go wrong, but there are elements in it that are improvised, uh, like various little sections. And it, it's always a, a kind of a joy to see what people will come up with on their own. I just wanted to say Deirdre made me realize that I wanted to mention the environment is very much an issue that I, I you know, to me is almost larger than the pandemic. Um, and it's the pandemic is a subset of the environmental crisis, um, and there are two environmental crises. The uh, you know carbon emission is one, but the other is is a biodiversity crisis. Where I said, and I don't know if you caught this bit, that ninety six percent of all living animals are humans, cattle, sheep pigs and chickens, and four percent are the wild creatures that we watch on David Attenborough. So. Naturally, I wanted to put in a few humpback whales after learning that fact. 
we're kind of uh, we're kind of done. I think it's almost time to gi- to give you uh, give you a break from screens and <laughs> have a little downtime. Rest rest the uh, rest all our eyes from from looking at a screen all day. 